Thank you for joining us today on Workforce Institute Radio. I'm Joyce Murray, Executive Director of the Workforce Institute at Kronos. And today we're continuing the series of podcasts we're hosting on key ideas from our most recently published book. And that book is Being Present, A Practical Guide for Transforming the Employee Experience of Your Frontline Workforce. Our book is a practical guide comprised of chapters contributed by our wonderful board of advisors on how to transform the employee experience of your frontline workforce with a special focus on jobs that require the employee to be physically present to do their job. So think of the cashier at a store, a home health worker, or the at your favorite coffee shop. My guest today is Martin Armstrong. Martin is one of our board members, and as Vice President of Payroll Shared Services at Charter Communications, he is responsible for overseeing payroll strategy and execution for the company's 98,000 employees. Dr. Armstrong is a certified payroll professional, holds a master's degree in business administration from the University of Maryland University College, and is a doctor of business administration from Argosy University, where his dissertation concentrated on employee readiness for organizational change. Martin's chapter in our book is entitled, Line Leadership Needs Now. His chapter, Martin writes about the critical importance of investing in the development of frontline managers. He also shares a lot of research-driven insights about what frontline managers need to know to be effective in their roles. I'm looking forward to digging into this topic today, especially at this time when so many frontline workers have never had a greater need for leaders they can trust and who they will follow. So Martin, thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. So let's uh, move to our first question, and that is, can you tell our audience about yourself and why you were interested in contributing this chapter to this book? Sure. Well, as you mentioned, I'm Martin Armstrong. I I work at Charter Communications. Um, uh, So I work in human resources, and I lead a payroll shared services group of about 65 people. And I tell you, my interest in contributing to this book is because just over my body of work, my 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 life's work, uh, in different roles that I've had, I know the importance of how critically uh, important it is to connect with the frontline leader because the frontline leader is the mouthpiece for those frontline employees that really make our companies go. In my role here at Charter. Um, I have 65 people, and they range from payroll practitioners, I have four CPAs, I have IT professionals, I have project management professionals, employment tax um, personnel. I have all these different disciplines, but at the end of the day, we're really reaching for one common goal. And that goal is like, how can we successfully use today's tools and technologies to deliver the highest possible quality product at the lowest possible price point? That's going to uh, make me relevant and any really any people leader, any frontline leader relevant as well. So I'm totally invested in this in this uh, topic. And that's why I had such interest in writing the particular topic on what frontline leadership now means um, in this book. So, Martin, can you can you expand on what are the concepts that you talk about in the chapter and, and what you would be the key takeaways that a reader will um, will have if they invest in reading the chapter. Sure. 
So the focus of my chapter is really identifying those key behaviors and skill sets that frontline leaders can consider to execute wherever they're working at their company strategy and how to grow the capability of their frontline employees. That is highest level. That's the focus of the chapter. But for, for uh, a frontline leader to be in a good position to do that, we use, and I use the content in this chapter, it was all theoretical research and practical experience based. Um, and, and as a result of that, we believe that employers should focus their frontline leadership development efforts really in three critical areas. One of those areas is strategic thinking. Another area is communication. And the last area of the three is execution. But we dig a little deeper uh, above and beyond those three critical areas. And we also talk about critical skill sets such as decision-making techniques, and this is from the frontline leader, change management skill sets, and then focusing on results. So really that's um, three critical areas. And then underneath those three critical areas, you know, those skill sets that bring those critical areas to life. So that's the focus of the chapter for frontline leaders. So in the beginning of um, the very beginning of your chapter, you talk about research that indicates that something like 50 percent of front leaders have never had um, any training in, in how to be a leader. Um, and, and I know that that you know, training and development is definitely something you talk about in the chapter. So, you know, if you were trying to convince leaders that they needed to invest more in, in developing their frontline um, managers, how would you how would you tell them that the, the the advice or following the advice in your chapter would help them to be more successful? Well, I'll tell you, that's a, that's a great question. And when I was doing the research for this this uh, chapter, I interviewed a lot of different frontline leaders. And so I wanted to make sure that the the uh, the research that I did actually aligned with what people were really saying today. And the research really is a testament to this, and it stood the test of time in that the folks that I interviewed, they all said, gosh, I wish I would have known this back then when I first became a frontline leader, because as, as you uh, mentioned, Joyce, um, in the book, it does mention that 80% of our workforce um, are frontline leaders that make up, the frontline leaders make up or either influence 80% of the workforce yet. These frontline leaders only receive 20 to 30% of a typical company's leadership development efforts. So that's really a daunting task to place on a frontline leader where you've not given them training, but yet they represent or make up 80% of the workforce. So we know that that also leads to um, the attitudes of frontline employees that they're trying to lead. Um, we also did some research and we asked ourselves, what were the top five factors that contributed to frontline employees having a bad day? And this goes back to frontline leadership because here are the statistics. 40% said they had a lack of help and support from their boss, which is the frontline leader. They work with negative coworkers, which frontline leaders can help manage. 37% um, of them said that they lack praise or recognition for the work that they do. And from a communication standpoint, which is one of our three pillars, um, that is definitely responsibility for the frontline leader. And then 37% also, also said that they had uncertainty about the workplace's vision or strategy, like why are we here? They could not answer that simple question. And then 
36% said they really felt like um, they had a high workload, but really no meaningful purpose as to why they were doing that high workload. So all all that to say, um, if you as a frontline leader want to get the most out of frontline employees, um, you got to recognize that you need training and that the training that you're going to receive will definitely impact directly the performance of frontline employees that you have. So my advice would be you as a frontline leader, we as frontline leaders, we know that our success or failure really depends on front frontline employees that we lead. And you have to be in a good position to lead from um, a theoretical and I think practical experience standpoint. And uh, you got to ready yourself um, to be able to put yourself in a position to do so. So that's my advice because it's a direct correlation between you as a frontline leader, knowing these statistics, and then when you're not doing a great job, how they poorly impact frontline employees that you lead. So, Mark, you, you've talked to a lot of frontline leaders. Uh, you said as, as part of your for your book chapter, I'm sure also th- – your career. I know you were also in the in the military in, in uh, earlier in your career. So, are uh, was there a particular success story that you might reflect on that helped to shape your point of view around what frontline leaders need to lead successfully? Yes, oh my my goodness. When you um, when you ask that question, that really two stories come to mind, and I would have to say too. Just thinking of stories, I think we can sum it up. Like if I had to write a book of like frontline leadership experiences that shape my point of view, I would probably name that book something like If Only Someone Would Have Told Me. Because (laughs) now, (laughs) many years later, I get to see from a a self-inventory all the different life lessons over time. And uh, and it's took a, taken a long time for me to get to the place where I believe I'm a a, a good leader, but um, if only someone would have told me back then what I know now, um, this journey would have been much shorter, I believe, uh, because there is truth in the saying of um, the saying that says experience is the best teacher. You could tell someone all day, but unless they experience it themselves. That's the only way they're going to really grab it, um, grab a hold of what we're trying to say. Now, so going going back to the stories, I actually have two small short stories I want to share with you. Um, so we've had many stories for people to have rags to riches and ordinary people from humble beginnings and how now they've shaped their life, probably with purpose. In the cases that taken them on this long route that we call the journey to success. Um, but I'm, I'm going to start with my own company where I work at right now, Charter Communications. Our CEO, his name is Tom Rutledge. He started his career as a field technician where he would climb telephone poles to run cable wiring that ultimately provided the source for customers to watch cable television at that time. And now over time, he was given roles of increased responsibility. He was given divisions that he was, um, um, you know, a leader of, a second leader, and ultimately it led to him being the CEO of a Fortune 100 company. And based on Tom's experience as a frontline employee and then having those different roles to see um, how he can use his experiences, and and, and, um, I will stop there and say when people make decisions, they make it in one of two ways or a combination of both, and that is – experience and intuition. And I would throw in there probably some 
some um, educational knowledge as well. So Tom used not only did he go back to school after he finished being a field technician, he got to school, went back to school, got a, a degree, I think it was in economics or something like that. And so he used his experience, his educational experience, and the experience of being a frontline employee. And I will tell you, in every decision that he makes with his leadership team, it has the frontline leader and the frontline employee in mind. Every single decision. I don't care if it's about healthcare benefits or about strategy on how we're going to make the company grow from X to Z, X, um, X, Y, and Z. But it's always with the frontline leader in mind. Now, as you mentioned, Joyce, I used to be in the Navy. That's true. I retired in 2008, and um, I retired as a supply officer. So people look at me now. And they think that, you know, I was probably always in a leadership position in the military, but that's simply not true. Because when I started my military career, I started as an E1, the lowest possible rank in the military. And uh, so I was an enlisted person, started as an E1. I worked my way up to an E7. So in the Navy, we call that chief petty officer. Then in 2001, I received my commission to become an officer. And once again, I started at the lowest possible rank that an officer could be. And in the Navy, we call that an ensign. And then I, I made it up to um, a lieutenant commander where I, I finally des- um, decided to retire in 2008. But all that to say, even in my current role right now here at Charter, every experience that I had as a frontline employee and in, then as a frontline leader, even when I was enlisted and then became an officer, it really shapes everything that I do today. Um we have these annual strategy and roadmap meetings, and I always think to myself, how is this going to impact the people that I work with, you know, um, my payroll processors and um, my tax people and my accounting people, because they're the ones that I'm depending on for my success or failure, and I want to make sure that whatever decisions I make is with that in mind. So that's probably a long answer to my success stories and how that all those experiences shape my point of view, but that's how I got to where I'm at today. Well, what I'm also hearing there is that, you know, in both of those stories, you're really emphasizing the role of empathy in successful leadership that, you know, being able to put yourself in the shoes of uh, a person that you're asking to work with you, to follow you, to take a leap of faith on, you know, a change uh, or an innovation that that you're suggesting. Um, You have to have that empathy, I think, which in turn builds the trusted relationship that enables people to follow you. Be a fair way to frame that. That is absolutely a fair way. And I love how you emphasize the word um, empathy and trust, because when people that you're leading know that you have been in their shoes before, you automatically create a connection. They may not like everything that you do, but they know that you come from a place of understanding and empathy on what it takes to do the job. And I think that is critically important because we have a lot of leaders today that make decisions that um, in payroll speak. They write a check that they really can't cash because they have no idea what it takes to meet the commitments that they've promised to someone. And that is why a lot of initiatives fail because um, they really in the beginning weren't even thought of to be successful because the person who's making those decisions didn't check with the people who were doing the work. Yep, exactly. So when you, I know you've done 
a lot of speaking. He did a lot of speaking, a lot of writing. Um, you know, been very involved with the American Payroll Association in, in particular. Um, so I, I know you're out there espousing um, best practices around uh, issues like leadership all the time. And, you know, one of the things you noted earlier in this conversation was that although the frontline workforce tends to be the lion's share of, you know, really the, the global workforce, that is not where leadership training for frontline workers is not where the lion's share of development budgets tends to go. So, you know, when you do hear pushback from people about, well, gee, I think that's a great idea, but I would never be able to make that fly at my organization. You know, what are some of the common obstacles you hear from people and and how do you coach them to overcome those obstacles if they want to try some of the things that you're espousing? Yeah, that's a great question because that is really a reality question. You know, I, I read a lot of uh, books and listen to a lot of motivational speakers and, and different training coaches, and they'll give you all this advice. But when you get back to your workplace, you recognize that your culture doesn't lend itself to take on all this advice, especially if you're not in a leadership position where you can control the purse strings, you know, because some of these ideas take time, money, and resources. And um, you may be working in a one-man or one-woman department of some sort, or you may not have the finances uh, on your in your budget to make all these things happen. But at the end of the day, I would say, What's the cost of not doing some of these things? And I think the cost of not doing some of the things, recognizing that you know frontline leaders influence or making up make up eighty percent of the workplace workforce, I should say. Um, the cost of not doing this is that you're going to impact customers and customer service. You know, we have this mantra here at Charter where we say we treat customer service as it was a product. So if you know that you're producing a product and that product has a, a has a, um, some type of fault in it, you're going to recall it, fix it, and get it back out to the public. Uh, automobile makers do that all the time when they have recalls on their automobiles. And so because they treat it like a product. So I would say what um, I would challenge the person who would say we, we can't afford to do this or we our culture isn't you know built for this. Um, I think the consequences of not implementing some of the um, some of the activities and strategies that we've um, talked about in the book is far worse when you think about impact to your business and to customers because you know at the end of the day people um, have to do communication and if you're in a in a business where you're selling someone a personal service or a product of some sort, you're going to have that interaction. And sometimes things won't work out all the time. And it's that frontline leadership that's going to intervene with the customer and make things right. That's how businesses work. I've never worked with a business that didn't either sell a product or service to remain in business. And if you want to be an ongoing concern, I would say you got to make sure that the people who are dealing with the people who are buying your product or providing or, you know, giving you revenue for personal services, whether it's consulting or whatever it is, they're the ones that have to know exactly what it is that you want that company to look like. Um, we know that there is resistance of change in the at the individual level. And so I've done a lot of research and change uh, on change management, and I know just empirical research and then my own practical um, surveys would suggest 
that over 70% of organizational change initiatives fail. So I would say part two of this question is not only figuring out what's the consequences when you don't implement this and you have faced, you, you face obstacles and barriers, but once you're there and you say, yes, let's do this, we have to make sure that people are um, – what we call organizations or what we call um, organizational change readiness, have that readiness um, because we know that 70% of all organizational initiatives fail. So you got to ready yourself as a company to be, to, to put yourself in a position to use frontline employees or frontline leaderships, uh, leadership personnel, I should say, to make the change that you're asking people to make. So, um, that's that's what I would say. The common challenges are definitely individual um, resistors resistors to change, and then really just asking yourself a blunt question: What is going to happen when we don't do the change? Like, how is that working for you now? Yeah, exactly. And and better to get ahead of that change than be you know scrambling to put solutions in place when you're under a lot of pressure and and perhaps under resourced uh, to do so. So let me ask you my my last question um, that I'm asking all the authors is uh, what uh, what parting thoughts do you have uh, for your audience before I thank you for your time today? Well, it's been a pleasure um, speaking with you today about this topic I'm so passionate about. But I would say my parting thought, especially in today's COVID-19 pandemic, is that for frontline leaders to exercise the art of communication, because you're leading people right now that have some anxiety. Some people may have been laid off and not working right now. And although the government is going to be sending you some uh, an econ- economic impact payment is what they're calling this, that hasn't come yet and bills are still there. So whether you have people who are still working or on the sidelines right now ready to go back to work, I think as a frontline leader um, and anybody who's listening to this, comp- this podcast, we have to exercise the art of communication, especially if you have some influence over people. Um, because what people need right now, I think, is hope and a good mindset. And um, those two things, I think, control everything that we do, especially in mindset. You know, we, we talk about mindset all the time. It's really the set of beliefs or the way of thinking that determines someone's behavior. At this point right now, people need to change their mindsets. And listeners out there who have any influence whatsoever with others, I think if we can help people change their mindset, um, that would be good. And that's really practicing the art of communication. And when we do that, we'll be able to effectively kind of inform people on what they need to do to stay safe, motivate people and give them hope that this is this too shall pass. And then really just get people to think about the future. And the future, I think, will be out of this new normal that we're in and back to business and back to where we were before. So that would be my parting shot. You know, exercise your art of communication and help change people's mindsets. You can get them to a a, a sense of calmness and promote a message of hope. That's what people need right now. I I couldn't agree with you more, Martin. Um, Thanks so much for taking the time to be with me today and and to share your expertise with our listeners. For you listeners, um, thanks so much for joining us. You can um, add your own comments to this conversation at workforceinstitute.org. Until next time, please stay safe, stay well, and thank you so much for joining us.